Dear fellow redeemed, we will consider especially our reading from the book of Ephesians. And as we begin, we can't really talk about what it means to have Christian wisdom and Christian insight and Christian understanding if we were to overlook the best example of that in all of Scripture, of John chapter 6. John chapter 6, the bread of life chapter, is what we often call it, recording one of the few miracles that is recorded in all four Gospels, the feeding of the 5,000. John chapter 6, the bread of life chapter, and we've been kind of reading through it for the last, I don't know, five weeks, including today. And I haven't looked yet, but there's space enough for one more reading next week. And in today's Gospel reading, Jesus says the most controversial and the most... Um, the most offensive words that really collide with the way that we think, that really collide with our human reason. And this is what he says. Amen, amen, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. And then later in verse 56, the one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. And you see that, and you read that, and you think to yourself, oh, he's, he's he must be talking about Holy Communion. And this makes perfect sense, Pastor. We don't have to spend a whole lot of time on this. Except he's not. He's not talking about Holy Communion, although what he's referring to happens when the believer comes to the Lord's table. He's standing here and preaching to people, basically preaching... Um, only a couple miles from his own hometown, preaching to people who, for the most part, knew him and grew up with him, had heard him preach before, and they said, you know what, if you really are the Son of God, prove it. That was where this whole thing began. If you really are the Son of God, prove it. Why don't you do a miracle like, like give us bread from heaven the way Moses gave bread to his people in the Old Testament? Why don't you prove it? Because that's the way our human brains work. The way our human brains work in this fallen, sinful world is that we want proof. That we want to be the judge and the arbiter of what is true and right or what is incorrect and wrong. And so if I am to believe what you're telling me, I need to be the one to analyze the facts and you need to prove it to me. And there's the first collision between Christian wisdom and the human mind. Not that Christianity is illogical, it is very logical and even rational, but I would say it's, yes, beyond our capacity to fully understand, but it is logical. And that first collision, that first collision between what Jesus says and, and what the people say, the people are saying, I want you to prove it. And Jesus says, no. He says, no, I'm not here to prove it to you. He already did the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And then we finally get around to our reading today, the, the kernel and the core of what he is teaching. He says, I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. That all, everything else was simply foreshadowing, pointing ahead. That when God sustained his people for 40 years in the wilderness, yes, they needed food. But the greater picture is that God is the one who sustains his people, his Christians, in a world that hates them. 
and God is the one who provides bread for them, and Jesus is that bread. But we're not talking about the Lord's Supper. Well, why not? Well, first of all, he's talking to a bunch of unbelievers, these people who are, are angry with him and saying, prove it. He hasn't instituted the Lord's Supper yet. That's going to come on Monday, Thursday with his instructed disciples. The wording that he uses are different. Where he says, he says flesh instead of body. You, you recognize in the words of institution today, you'll watch for it. It's a different word. The word for flesh is, is sarks. If we, want, uh, if we want a little bit of Greek for today, the word for flesh is sarks. Like sarcastic is humor that kind of cuts the flesh. And the word that Jesus uses in the Lord's Supper is, is soma, body. So the wording is different, the setting is different, the audience is different, the people are different, the timing is different, and he doesn't distribute anything. They already had their meal, and it was fish and loaves. It wasn't bread and wine. And then finally, exactly what he says today. At the very end of the very last sentence of our reading from the Gospel lesson, the one who eats this bread will live forever. That really completes our understanding of what Jesus is talking about. That yes, when the believer comes to the Lord's table, he or she receives by mouth the Lord's body and blood together with the bread and the wine, and they receive the spiritual blessing of forgiveness. If the unbeliever comes to the Lord's table, he or she also receives by mouth the Lord's body and blood together with the bread and wine, but they don't receive that spiritual blessing of forgiveness. They put themselves under God's discipline. But Jesus says, whoever eats this bread will live forever. And I guess the other way you could test that is to think for yourself, is it possible that there has ever been a Christian who, who ate at the Lord's table and then fell away later in life and denied the faith and walked away? Well, if Jesus were talking about the Lord's Supper here in John chapter 6, then anyone who eats here is automatically guaranteed heaven and they can do whatever they want. And all of this, all of this provides a case study for human reason versus the wisdom of God. That when Jesus says he is the bread who has come down from heaven, He's standing there, the second person of the Trinity, the Word made flesh, and you and I have been eating all morning. He says that his flesh is real food and his blood is real drink. And so in the hearing and believing of God's Word, it's like, it's like food for your soul, like your soul feasts and your faith is fed. And you can say with confidence, this is my Lord and I believe what he says even when, even when it confounds my human reason. And so all that in the background, why does this matter? Pastor, I thought you were preaching on Ephesians chapter 6, and you know, preaching on John chapter 6 would take the entire month of readings to do it well. <laughs> and you took seven minutes, Pastor Hagen. Why does that matter? Because I can't think of, well, I can think of maybe two other examples that would be as good an example of human reason versus the wisdom of God. And that's the topic that, that Paul talks about today. Human reason versus the wisdom of God. 
He says in, in our reading from Ephesians, bottom of page two, consider carefully then how you live not, and how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise people. Consider carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And there's the contrast, that we don't live as people who do not know Jesus, and that we don't live as people who simply, simply learn the facts of our faith and then go on our way. We live as people who daily and regularly and often feed on the flesh of the Son of God. We see the contrast. Where our human reason wants to say, all I have to do is, is I know the material, and I'll pass the test, and then I'll be good. And the way God puts it is that walking with Christ is a daily and a weekly occurrence. The way our human reason wants to think is, is I learned that at one time, and I learned that at one point, and I could probably even, probably even recite some of the facts of the faith to you, or you know, I could follow along with the, the creed or the Lord's Prayer fairly easily without any prompting. I know that stuff. Human reason says, if I know that, then I'm good. And the wisdom of God says, well, good. <laughs> and that's a start. Because the wisdom of God means walking with Christ and being fed by him with his flesh and his blood. And that the wisdom of Christ really changes your life and mine. And I know I talked about it last week, and it's, it's worth talking about at least one more time, that it sounds, like, it sounds like the most simple of comparisons of apples and oranges or apples and bananas. It sounds like a very simple comparison. We're talking about fruit, except when we're not talking about fruit, right? The apple on the right and the banana on the left, that's not a comparison of fruit. That human reason, the best it has to offer, is glory that is here for a time and maybe reaches its peak before fading away slowly. Human reason, the best it has to offer, is to say rage, rage against the dying of the light and squeeze out all the joy and all the effort and all the accomplishment that you can out of this life. Live for yourself because you ultimately must be the judge of right and wrong. You must be the judge of what is reasonable, rational, and believable. The wisdom of God says, dear Christian, you are different. And we've talked about that as the, the main message of the entire book of Ephesians. Dear Christian, you are different. You have been set apart. That even though it sounds like a comparison of fruit, um, an apple and a banana, you, Christian, are different because you have been made to display the wisdom of God. You have been made to live out the wisdom of God. And that's what Paul talks about here as he reaches the end of the book of Ephesians. That's exactly what he talks about. You notice this, like every, pretty much every book of his, he spends almost exactly the first half talking about very basic doctrinal concepts. And then the second half, talking very, very pointedly and precisely about, um, about what does this look like in your life and mine. And so he says, make the most of your time because the days are evil. Even there, even there, you pause. Because I was expecting Paul to say, make the most of your time because you don't have much of it. 
Is, you are almost expecting Paul to say, make the most of your time because time is fleeting and, and you never know when your day is going to come because, man, you've got you to gotta make the most of your time while you can. But he says, make the most of your time because the days are evil. Because it relies on God's wisdom, not on ours. Human wisdom says, I need to do all that I can to wring out all the joy that I can in the little time that I have. The wisdom of God says that God has promised me everything. He has promised me eternity. And that, that means that making the most of my time means spending my time with Jesus so I don't lose out on that. He says, watch out for what's really the issue here. The issue isn't the shortness of time that we have and the lack of ability to, to have lasting joy. The issue that we have is missing out on, on the blessings that our Lord has promised to us. So he says, make the most of your time because the days are evil. That we don't get led astray. That we don't get deluded into the false arguments that we hear all around us. That we don't get backed into the corner between um, an A option and a B option as though those were the only two options. Dear Christian, you must either A, accept or believe what I, what I believe, or else B, Christian, you are backwards and you are upside down and you're dumb. That the Christian recognizes, even from a human perspective, that there's another option. The Christian recognizes that, um, that who you are in Christ means more than anything. And when it, comes to, when it comes to all the hot button topics of our day, when it comes to any you know, heart-to-heart discussion you may have, the Christian lives in that, that middle ground where it's not just black and white, but it is many shades of gray. It's a certainty based on the Word of God. A Word of God where we confessed earlier. I confess to you that I've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. That you and I recognize on the basis of the Word of God alone (laughs) that we have earned nothing except punishment. That we deserve nothing but discipline that really our lives should be nothing but pain and sorrow until an eternal, untimely demise apart from the loving presence of God. And while that is the case, it is also the exact same case at the exact same time. That even though we are the most unlovable of people and we bring nothing of spiritual good, at the exact same time, our Lord gave his Son for you and for me. Our Lord gave his life for you and for me so that you can say, you know, I deserve God's wrath and punishment, but I'm loved through the resurrection of his son. That, (laughs) yeah, that we are not nearly as, as good as our human brains want to think, but at the same time, we are far more loved than we ever dared to believe. That in that resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, there, you can say with certainty that, yes, my sin is forgiven. Yes, I have a Lord who loves me. Yes, I have a Lord who has promised me eternity and forever. 
and he has made me his own. He has set me apart to live as his own and to declare his praises to a world that knows nothing of him apart from what he has said in his word. That's what human wisdom looks like. You see, human wisdom continues, that's what godly wisdom looks like. Human wisdom wants to continue to judge everything according to appearances. And godly wisdom, godly wisdom goes beyond appearances to the basis of what God has said and promised. And what has he promised? That at the same time, Christians will be persecuted and they will suffer. At the same time, Christians will maybe lose out on opportunities and, and be disregarded by their friends. And at the same time, they will be, they'll be happy and they'll be joyful. That even though, even though they are persecuted, they have everything. That even though the world would say you have lost, because look at your God on a cross. The Christian recognizes on the basis of the word of God, on the basis of the word of God, the Christian recognizes that I have life forever with him, that my life is different, that the wisdom of God isn't, isn't on the basis of, of human reason and me making the judgments about what, what Jesus has said or hasn't said or trying to construct my words so that I can find a way around what he has said. That's what human reason wants. But the wisdom of God is this Jesus Christ himself proposing his own truth that will stand forever. A truth that applies to you and to me. A truth that we can hold on and hold on to for all of our lives and for all of eternity. So what does that look like? Well, Paul goes on. Verse 17, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Verse 18, don't get drunk on wine, which causes you to lose control. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. What does it look like that we don't judge, that we don't judge our Lord's work on the basis of, of human wisdom, because that would be far too simple? And if we were to judge on the basis of human wisdom that would say, well, I know it and I'm good and I'll just get a refresher every now and then. But the wisdom of God says that this is different. The wisdom of God says that even if, even if I've known this or heard this for a year or a dozen years or a couple decades, it's not only about my intellectual grasp of these truths but it's also about Jesus feeding my faith. And that's the major tech task for our next month, next couple of months. To live and walk according to God's wisdom, not human wisdom. Because, because I think human wisdom creeps in on the sides far more often than it should. The human wisdom that says, well, Pastor, I've already spent 65 minutes in church and I've got things to do with the rest of my Sunday. And God's wisdom says the body of Christ can gather together still. 
The body of Christ can gather together young and old alike, encouraging parents and children together. The body of Christ can gather together and sit together to study a portion of God's word together. That's one of the things that hopefully I'll have a little bit of better report on for our council this next Tuesday. But we have church at 9 a.m., we have church at 11 a.m., and we have about 45 minutes in between. And do you think we could have Bible class with Sunday school and the children all together at 10.15? That if you're here for the first service, you'll stay until 11 o'clock. If you're coming for the second service, maybe you can get here for 10.15 instead of 11 o'clock. And we can have a Bible story for the kids. We can all sit together for that and maybe have some questions geared especially for the children, have a little interaction there. And it's probably encouraging for the older people who know their, know their Bibles to hear these children learning these truths for the first time. To gather together in the fellowship hall at 1015 for a Sunday school lesson together. And then, I don't know exactly what it's going to look like yet, and we'll have a little bit of trial and error until it's, until it's adjusted. But then we'll have probably 15 more minutes for the grown-ups to have a little bit of a Bible study and whether the kids want to sit with them or the kids have a little bit further Bible discussion on their own with a teacher, doesn't matter to me. As a parent, make your choice. <laughs> they can sit with you and participate and listen or they can, they can go and have a study with a Sunday school teacher. What would that look like? To hold to the wisdom of God as opposed to my human wisdom. My human reason would say, Pastor Hagen, you spent three years in seminary studying this in the original languages. You don't need to be here and, and study and learn this again. <laughs> the wisdom of God says, it's time to eat. What would it look like as another congregation comes over to join us, to work together with us, to gather together with us, what would it look like for that interaction and the knitting together of people? What would it look like for that to be guided by God's wisdom rather than human wisdom? Where human wisdom would say, this is the way that we've done it and this is the way that we should do it and we've already optimized it for our facility and for our congregational culture. And God's wisdom says, you know what, I don't particularly care how we do it. What I care about is expressing God's love to you. What I care about is demonstrating some patience together in this body of Christ, that we work together, that the fellowship we share is, is a bigger deal and it's more important than how we do what we do. What would it look like? What would it look like to order our lives by the wisdom of God rather than, rather than by human wisdom. And those are a couple examples, and I'm sure we could think of more. But the bottom line is this. It would be very easy, very easy, and our human brains would want to, would love the idea. It would be very easy to think that we've, we've got it all figured out and that 
and that everything is in order and everything is in place and there's nothing else required of me except to, except to keep doing whatever it is that we've been doing. And the wisdom of God says that your life as a Christian and your life for all eternity depends on feeding on the bread of life. And the ongoing question that we have to wrestle with together is how can we feed more people? How can we feed more people with Jesus? Even if it means setting aside what I may have had on my schedule for Sunday morning for another 45 minutes to say, you know what, my brothers and sisters in Christ from, from the youngest among us to, to the oldest, that we are a body of Christ and we all need the same thing. You know what? It's time to eat. Amen.